0: So James chapter 1, beginning with verse verse, uh, 13. Let no man say when he is tempted that that I'm tempted of God. God did this to me. Really? For God cannot be tempted with evil, and neither does he tempt any man with evil. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust has conceived... Remember we talked about the desires of life. They're not necessarily evil... But when those lusts now have conceived, they bear fruit, literally they bring a child, the the offspring of that lust in my heart is sin. And sin, when it is finished, what does it bring forth? Death. Do not err. Don't miss this point. James chapter 1 verses 13 through 16 as we began, and that is the heredity of our flesh. Where where have we come from? What are we like? What are we made of? Do not err. Do not get this wrong. Don't miss the point. The weakness or flaw of the flesh is not in God's original design. It is in my desires that draw me away from what God originally designed. Someone said to me, if God would have never put that tree in the garden, man would have never sinned. Really? I think man would have found some other way to sin. Satan would have found something with which to tempt and draw man away. Man's own desire was the cause of man's first sin there in the Garden of Eden. It's the same for us, even though our life is less than the Garden of Eden. Right? We have lots of things around us to be tempted with and drawn away with. God is in no way part of evil. And trials only ever turn into temptations to evil when we are drawn away of our own lust. We say things like, it's not fair. I don't deserve this. I deserve to be happy. Now that starts to go into the sin. And so the pleasures of sin, is what I call the pleasures of sin, the draw away. In Hebrews chapter 11, remember this illustration of of Moses, right? Moses, he lived in the palace and there were a lot of pleasures, right? And he could have chosen any of these pleasures, but he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. So it would be wrong for me to say to you, there's no pleasures to be found in the world. Well, that's just silly, right? But what is our choice in the matter? Where are we going to find, where are we going to turn for our pleasure, our desires, our happiness? I would be foolish to not recognize there's so many things in the world today. But, as it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, which while some coveted after, they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Few advertisements sell you a product. You know that, right? Few advertisements sell you a product. They're selling you on a promise, right? They're selling you on a promise. Or in today's corona environment, the promise of hope and safety. If you buy this car, right? I mean, you've seen the advertisements now. Now they're going to promise you the safety and security of how they deliver this car to you and what this car means for you. But the car itself, it's almost secondary to what they're trying to advertise. A promise of some pleasure to be found in their product. Well, to be drawn away means to be enticed by that promise. That's the dangling carrot that's out in front of us. Satan uses the old bait-and-switch tactic of advertisements to allure you into his trap. The allure of this world is elusive. The desires of your flesh are deceptive. And the flaw of the flesh is in the desire. And while there's nothing wrong with having stuff, I get that. you got to have a car. you got to have a whatever. Roof over your house, over your, over your life. I get that. But if my hope and my help is to be found in that rather than God, then it is fool's gold. And we talked about fool's gold last week. When, the, when the, you take this thing... To the assayer's office to be tested. Remember that last week, tested? And what is our desire in the testing? That it found that it's not fool's gold, it's real. But in the circumstances of life, if you are dependent upon the stuff of this world and you take that to the assayer's office, you will be disappointed every time. What's worse yet? Once the trap is set and the bait is taken, it brings forth what's the end of verse 14? What does it bring forth? Death. So the pleasure of sin is the draw, and the penalty of sin is death. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, right? And death by sin. And so death is passed upon all men, because all have... Do you sin because... Are you a sinner because you sin? Or do you sin because you're a sinner? See, that's the depravity of man. That's the nature of man. Who is the one man? That's Adam. Death is my natural heritage. Theologians call this the depravity of man. I sin because, like Paul said, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Right? I've seen it. And it's not, it's not pretty. Man is not destined to hell because he did one bad thing too many And you don't get into heaven by doing one more good thing. Right? In other words, I don't deny there are are many good people in the world today. But you're not sent to heaven by being good any more than you're sent to heaven by being bad. The first Adam passed along to me and every man since, man and woman, the heritage of sin, which is death. second Adam, well that's Jesus, has made available a nature that is not in me. And that by the Holy Spirit and what he did on the cross and the resurrection. By the way, that, that was Satan's lie that, that about when he made to Adam. He said, you will not surely die. Right? It's not as bad as God made it sound. Someone, in some circumstance will think, well, it can't be as bad as the old preacher says. Maybe it's not. Maybe I sound like a conspiracy or a you know, a a tragic circumstance. Maybe I overblow it. Maybe you think I overreact sometimes. But the one thing I do know beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's never as good as the devil promised. It's never. You may think the old preacher's overreacting, but I can guarantee you that the devil has made it sound better than it is. Make no mistake about it, the wages of sin is forever death. But While our sin entraps us, the gift of God is What? Eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have the hope of our Father, this is our Heavenly Father, the hope of our Father. Let's read the verses together, beginning with verse 17. Again, James chapter 1, beginning with verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift, where, where is the only place that you can get a, anything that is everything it promised? From our Father, from heaven cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Right, there's no fine print that says, oh, you missed that part. It's not quite what I said. Here's my way out. No there's, no, there's nothing like that. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be what? Swift to hear. And nature tells us this, right? Swift to hear i got two of these, slow to speak, I've got one of these, and as if to compound the conversation, and even slower to what? Your two cents. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Did you know that your anger cannot bring the conviction that only the Holy Spirit can bring? But I felt like I just need to say something. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. And I know most translations change that. I love that phrase because it just, it just sounds so poetic and it sounds like exactly what it is. The superfluity, the overgrowing of, of just, you know, just stuff of life. The superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. Now you tell me, when's the last time you bought something, Anything. That did exactly what the ad promised. It lasted as long as you expected. You got everything out of it, and it returned to you every benefit you thought you would ever receive. When's the last time you bought something like that? I mean, every car I've ever bought lately, lately, I mean, I don't buy a car every day, but I get, then I get in the mail what? Recalls, right? You get recalls all the time. Because it's not quite, oh, it didn't work out the way we thought. We can fix it, though. We can fix it. The promise of the gospel is held with no variableness, neither shadow of turning, right? Which is to say, it comes with an ironclad warranty, satisfaction guaranteed, and that on the basis of the work of Christ and the empty tomb. Never change. Satan can't offer that. In fact, Satan tried to defeat that, didn't he? Now, don't buy into thinking of the world that suggests there's no better hope, so you might as well, like the frog, either give up and say, Why bother? What's it matter? I might as well live as I please. But it does matter. And these good gifts of our Father, these good gifts of our Father are about His great grace, verse 18. This provision was clearly God's idea. It says here, by His own will. How do you get saved? By what God has done. By His grace. God giving us what we don't deserve. By His will. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the what? Gift of God. That's grace. And then he says, and you are begotten or born again, not of corruptible seed, of course, 1 Peter told us, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abide forever. Begotten, born again. I don't want to get too far afield, but don't let anyone take verse 18. Don't let anyone take James chapter 1, and verse 18, and suggest to you that God is going to save whoever he wants to, and by implication, and sometimes they'll say it, and he'll send everybody else to hell. What do I know to be true about God's will? 1 Timothy chapter 2. I know for a fact that it is God's will that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. I know that to be true. And I know that the will of man must receive the grace of God to be begotten or born again. I know that to be true. But don't take verse 18 to a conclusion that I think is just absurd. That God then chooses people to be forever condemned to hell. That, to me, takes it to a step that I don't think is defensible. Because Timothy clearly tells us it is God's will that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's my work. That's my desire. But you've got to receive it. And that is to be begotten, right? Direct descendants of the Father and His children. So what is James telling us to do? Middle of verse 18... He told us to be, so here I am, a begotten child of God. So he says to me, I need to be what? Swift to hear. Well, what am I listening to? I'm listening to God. I'm listening to his word. It's God's word. I want to be swift to hear what the Bible says. Only be careful in your understanding that you don't take this book and beat somebody over the head with it. Because what does he also say? Swift to hear and slow to speak. Slow to speak doesn't mean that you stammer and stummer and don't have an answer and all that sort of thing. It it simply means that you're going to listen more than you speak. Because sometimes we're giving answers to questions nobody is asking. You get it. You know the gospel. And you can't understand for the life of you why if, if you gave them the gospel, they don't understand it too. Yeah, but God's never done anything for me. You know, and they go on to other things, and it'll be distracting, but they don't get it. You can't beat them into submission. And also be careful in your understanding of God's Word that you go on in verse 19. He says, be slow, not only slow to speak, but slow to wrath or anger. Because you getting angry about someone's sin, verse 20, never works the righteousness of God. You see somebody in sin, your son, your daughter, some family member, and you know this is going to ruin their life. And you want to, right? You just want to beat them up. Can you not get this? Can you not understand this? That didn't save you. It won't save them. You're not the Holy Spirit. You've got to allow the Holy Spirit to do in their life exactly what the Holy Spirit did in your life. Because you're getting angry, it only is going to give them a reason to deny what you say you believe. How do you win others to Christ? How do you represent Jesus? How do you glorify the Father? Be swift to hear, that's the Word of God. Be slow to speak, listen to their life, and slow to wrath, that's the Holy Spirit. So then in Colossians, I put this verse in there, just beautiful. Verse, some of you haven't memorized, you've marked it, Colossians chapter 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What a a beautiful phrase. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him, that is, by Jesus. I know what the Bible says, and I know what they did was wrong. But do you, do you have more desire to be right or to build a relationship so that Jesus can be introduced? Part of the problem of, of us representing the Lord is it's much easier for us to point out the faults of others. I mean, we've been at it for a while, and we can say, well, I know this is going to be a problem. And you want to just point out the faults, but it's harder to, to, to admit my own faults real easy to find faults in others. So that's why he says be careful, verse 22. Be careful that you're a doer of the word, not just a hearer, right? Not just a good listener. You're obedient. So how do we find this happiness, this joy? And that goes on in verse 22 to the end. So be doers of the word. Not just a listener. Because if you're just a listener, what are you? What are you doing? You are deceiving, right? Your own Self. You haven't deceived anybody else but yourself. Because if any man be a, a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man beholding his face in a natural mirror, right? And what did you do this morning? You got up, you saw your hair, and you said, i got to comb my hair. Well, I looked at it and said, I need a haircut. That's what I saw. Right? Or I need a shave. Or I need a... So I either put a hat on or I comb my hair. But I saw that and I did something about it. So you don't just behold your face in the, in the glass and don't do anything about it. And straightway forget what manner of man he was, verse twenty five, but whoso looketh into the law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer, this man shall be blessed. And there's the Beatitude. This is the blessed man. This is the blessed life. This is where you find the blessing of the Lord. You saw what the Word of God says, and you could probably point out faults of half a dozen other people that you saw, you know, in the afternoon. But don't ever forget what you know to be true about yourself. Because if any man among you seem to be religious, and he cannot control his tongue, and James is going to have a lot more to say about this, but he bridles not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is in vain. Pure religion and undefiled before the Lord God the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows and their affliction. That's why I always love hearing stories about somebody who visited a shut-in, a widow, Somebody that needs, you know, just needs our attention and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. Two simple things, right? Visit the fatherless, the widows, the orphans and the widows and keep yourself unspotted. Well, this, this happiness. Every day the wicked queen would ask, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? You don't know this story? Oh, you do? Okay. Now, most days the mirror would answer, Oh, my queen, it seems to me there is none in the land fairer than thee. But on one day, the message changed, and we all got a glimpse of the real image of the wicked queen. Most days we can look into this comparative mirror of religion, and we can walk away pretty happy with the way things are. You know, like, you know, I didn't... I didn't kick my dog today. I, I kissed my wife. I told her I loved her. I took care of the kids. I fixed the meal. And I didn't do what I see on the news. And we can feel pretty good about ourselves. But you let a little trouble come. A little coronavirus into our life. A little hardship, unforeseen tragedy, and the truth about who we are rises to the surface. Charles Finney said this. No sinner ever thought his sins to be worse than they are. Just the opposite is typically true. Philosophy says nothing is easier than self-deceit for what each man wishes that he also believes to be true. The easiest way to reject the truth is simply ignore it, stay busy, even in religious activity and hope that no one else will notice the truth. Patrick Morley calls this kind of religion self-distraction. Here in our verses, it's called self-deception. Once you forget what manner of man or woman you are, and your sorrow is going to be someone else's fault, then your desire to happiness is is going to just contradict everybody else along the way, and there's going to be a lot of damage left in your life as a result of your pursuit of happiness. The only way we can find real happiness the only way to find real happiness in our faith is to obey the Word of God obey the Word of God everything else is self-deception see if we're to be happy in the Christian life we have to strive to do what this book says nobody's going to disagree with that right to do be a doer three times he mentions it do it be a doer not just a listener not just a casual observer it's the word for poet And you start to put that into the conversation, just a beautiful illustration. This word for doer is a word for poet. It's it's a colorful rendition describing the truth. That's what our life is supposed to be. A colorful rendition of this truth. Something that illustrates for other people in ways they hadn't thought of before. And it makes sense. I get it. Maybe it's the same circumstance they're going through, and it's colored in such a way that they can understand. Blessed is the one who continues, tarries long enough to let the Word of God engrafted, right? The phrase says, the Word of God color their life and illustrate Jesus. Remember this little phrase. Remember, what you do, speak so loudly, they can't hear what you say. It's an important, important phrase. What you do, speak so loudly, they cannot hear what you say. So the flip side of obeying the word is to avoid the world. You go on verse verse 26 and following. To be unspotted from the world. Some people's Christianity is wrapped up in little sayings, little barbs, little jabs. They, they kind of throw in like I did to my son the other day. Yeah, but the Bible says be angry and sin not. But I tried to, I tried to do it in a gracious way. But the principle of being unspotted from the world as it relates to the tongue And again, he'll say more about this tongue. But the principle as it relates in the verses to the tongue is not so much what you say, but what you don't say. And a lot of Christianity cannot help but say too much go too far, take the Bible out of context and apply it in ways that God never intended. If the Bible is silent, you keep silent. But again, the principle of being unspotted is not so much what you do, excuse me, what you don't do. So now that we're going to the other way. Because sometimes we describe our Christianity, our religion in the negative. So it's not so much what you don't do but what you do. So not always what you say, but what you don't say. Not always what you don't do, but what you do, you want to be happy in the Lord, then stop tearing people down with all the negative talk and start building them up with a little bit of a little bit of compassion, right? A little bit of help. Unhappy Christians are the ones who do the most complaining. They're the ones who put forth the least amount of effort to win others to Christ. I can measure the happiness of your heart not by, not by what you don't do, what you stay away from, but the things you choose not to say, because you have a right to say them. Not by what the things you don't do, but what you do. So out of the abundance of the heart, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, my actions flow. So it's not so much what you say, but what you don't say. That tells me something about your heart. Not so much what you don't do, the negative, but what you do. And not just what you do, but who you do it for, right? Widows and orphans. So do it for people that are never going to do anything back for you. The people that need it the most. The people won't get your name in the paper, right? We all love to, I mean, you see it on TV all the time, people to help in ways. And you know the only reason they're doing this is because they, they're hoping the TV cameras show up, right, and get their name. Now, I'm, I'm being skeptical now. But doing it, that's pure religion. That's what he calls pure religion and undefiled, no self-serving motive of its own. So there's no greater joy. The old preacher felt as though he could preach no more. He had pastored this little church for all of his life. He poured his life into the congregation with little result, and so he was kneeling in his office to pray, and he was asking God for just one more convert, just one more opportunity to share the gospel, and he sensed that there was someone in the room with him. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. It was a little boy. little Robert, to be exact. Just a boy, but he's asking The pastor, he said, Pastor, if I studied real hard, do you think I could be like you? He said, do you think I could be a preacher of the gospel? Little Robert asked. Pastor's heart rejoiced over little Robert's decision that day. Just a boy, but today I'm I'm certain most, maybe not everyone here, most who have studied church, church history, know the name Robert Moffat. Just a boy. But he gave his heart to the Lord that day. And then Robert Moffat had a direct impact on another little boy, the old organs. We got an old pump organ, but the old big pump organs, right? It would often have a little boy down below pumping the organ for the guy to play. Little David was down there pumping the organ that day, and he heard Robert Moffat preaching. Now, who among us have not heard the name David Livingston? That's the guy that was pumping the organ that day that heard the gospel. Just a boy, just a little Sunday school class, just my little family, just my neighbor, just a little thing, but it makes such a big difference. Is there any greater joy than seeing the message of this book change someone else's life? And thinking that in some small way I had a part in it. Not so much for all the things I said but for the way I lived. And sometimes my choice not to say a few things. It may only be a small class, a group of children. I don't know where the Lord may lead us in our little church. But maybe it's another, another little Robert, another little David. Because we need someone someday to take the place of this pulpit or the place of that Sunday school teacher. We need to have people that are going to replace us. Who's that going to be? Those are the little people, the young person, the someone we never imagined who gave their life to Christ because this book made a difference in my life, and because of that, someone's heart was turned toward Jesus. Right? That's where happiness is found. Not in taking my circumstance and fixing it. But in taking my circumstance and in that, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That can only be done as I spend time in this book.